What's up everyone and welcome to episode 130 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Uh, rattling through these episodes now, sorry, weird pause there, don't know why, I just couldn't think of what I wanted to say. Um, but yeah, really rattling through these now, uh, 130, this is nuts, I didn't expect to be getting this far when I started this little podcast uh, two years ago now. Yeah, God, two and a half years ago. That's absolutely nearly three. Fuck. Time is flying. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone who's supported the show in any shape or form uh, up to this point. Um not going to stop going as it is. But yeah, I'm babbling already. Um hope everyone is doing well. Had a wonderful week since we last spoke. Um, I myself had a hella busy week. Uh, as mentioned on the last week's episode, I pre-recorded the the intro monologue, so to say, uh, as I was off to see Touche Amore and Deaf Heaven in Bristol, uh, which was really cool. Uh, full review of that show up, which is nice because I haven't done, written a review for, for our little website, but it's on the Justin Insight website if you want to go check that out. Uh, and then on Monday, I went to Lingering Nota in London, which was absolutely mind-blowing like hands down one of the best performances i've seen in a very very long time um and yes just maybe even more excited to go see her four times at roadburn next year yes i am going to roadburn finally going to roadburn gonna be fucking sick um yeah and then on friday i went to uh, the first day of ready fest it was over two days but unfortunately i was working uh, my day job on the weekend, so I could only get to the Friday. Um, it was headlined by Strife. Now, I'm not the biggest Strife fan. Like The main reason I went is because uh hardcore band from Germany called Risk It were playing, as well as uh, The Break-In did a reunion show, uh, which was fucking rad because The Break-In were a band that I really got into when I was at uni, but I never got the chance to actually see them live, so it was really cool to see them. Um, but yeah, not the biggest Strife fan, but holy shit, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was at the New Cross Inn in London, which is becoming one of the best hardcore venues this country has to offer. Um, so if you ever get the opportunity to go to a hardcore show there, highly recommend it. It's always a lot of fun. Um, and I got sort of got to see sorry a lot of friends, which was really nice. Um, so yeah, fun times was had all round. Um, <clears throat> One little bit of selfish self-promotion that I want to do, um, purely because it's done quite well on social media, so throwing it out there to the wider internet world as well of podcasts. Um, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but as a bit of a side hustle, uh, I do a tiny bit of tour driving, a little bit of selling merch for bands, a lot of photography, mainly off my own back, but on the occasions when people want me to take photos of their bands but 2020 i'm trying to give the whole tour driving tming thing a go so if there are any band members listening any bands listening that need a driver or anything for your tours next year please hit me up uh, drop me a message on the justin insight socials or you can email me t birkbeck which is b-i-r-k-b-e-c-k at hotmail.com um yeah want to be out on the road on 2020 so help a brother out um one final thing that i did want to just touch upon before we get into this week's guest uh there was an article that went out this week on vice um about 
the uh, male-female ratio on festivals, um, mainly kind of like artists that are playing on festivals, sorry, I should mention. Um, and it's mainly for sort of vote, uh, aimed around like the big festivals that are happening in this country, sort of Reading and Leeds and, and Download and things like that. Now, obviously, we're kind of more alternative leaning, so... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, the quote that was from Andy Copping, who is the booker for Download, was really poignant. Now, this I will full caveat. This was pointed out to me uh, from a very good fa- friend and former guest of the podcast, uh, Serena Cherry from Svalbard. Um, there's a quote from Andy himself in the article, basically saying the reason there aren't enough women that play the festival is because they're quote unquote haven't felt inspired to pick up instruments which is an absolute laughing stock like if anyone follows my personal twitter they will see I kind of went off on a bit of a rant on this um but I wanted to highlight this again because I think this podcast itself we try and be as diverse as possible with the guests that we have like I've had non-binary people on here I've had uh people from the lgbtq community i've had men i've had women i've had people of color i try to try and be as open as possible and that's not me blowing smoke up my own ass but that's just the way that things should be and a festival like download that has so many eyes on it from the alternative world needs to be doing a fuckload more to be changing the way there is it just shows that as it is at the moment, I mean, the, the headliners themselves speak for it. It's Kiss, fucking Iron Maiden, and System of a Down. Like, it's just a dinosaur festival that needs to change its ways. If it needs to, it needs to have more representation across the board. So, yeah, I just want to kind of say that because it's really disappointing to see. And I hope, obviously, this year is probably a bit too late, but I hope come 2021 we finally start to see a bit more of an even playing field in the terms of representation at festivals. Like, I come to think of it, it's in sad news now because Queen Z have announced that they're they're splitting up. But Queen Z like were one of the very few bands at this year's download that had that kind of LGBTQ sort of uh representation and even they said it. So and they're a band that played the fucking festival. So yeah. More needs to be done. And this was a, a matter that was brought up with Slam Dunk. And I think we're just going to keep seeing it until more needs to be done. So please do more promoters. Look at things like Mr. Stars and Fluff Fest over on Mainland. They may be smaller festivals, but they fucking do it right. So take note. Anyway, I digress. Let's get on to our week's guest. Our week's guest? This week's guest. Uh, and I'm joined by Cooper Khan vocalist Matt Honeycutt. Um, the band have just put out their awesome uh, new record, Absolute. Um, so it was very timely to to get this chat with Matt and, and get it out around the release of that record. Um, we discuss how Matt started out on drums before moving to uh, vocals. We discuss how he likes to be challenged on the subjects that he's talking about and kind of that there needs to be these two-way conversations if things are going to be changed kind of like what I just mentioned um and how like he enjoys being so open lyrically so that 
again, he can be challenged and it's the only way that he knows how to be to speak from the experiences that he's lived. Um, so yeah, this was a really fun chat. I uh, hope you enjoy it and I'll see you on the other side. Joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of uh, metallic hardcore band Kubla Khan, Matt Honeycutt. Matt, thank you very much for, for joining me. Um, how's everything with you at the moment? How's the road? How's the tour? Tour's good. Road's exhausting as usual, but <laughs> this has been a really a really good tour. A lot of good things have been happening. So I can't, I mean, I, even if we were out on any tour right now, I really can't complain just because this is what I feel like I've kind of been bred to do. So I'm just glad yeah. to be doing what, fulfilling my purpose, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. How many days in are you at the moment? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Probably about two weeks. Oh, we wow. I didn't realize like that. that. Yeah, we only got another about two weeks before it's over. It's going to end in Canada again. Started on the western side of Canada. Does a big horseshoe through the United States up to the east coast and then back up to eastern Canada. God, that's, that, that is a hell of a stint. Um, yeah. Any particular highlights so far? Oh, man. Well, I mean, playing California was really good. We haven't played California in what feels like forever. Same thing with Seattle and Portland. The western side of Canada, we've never played ever. Okay. So that was kind of trying to bust into a new market but everybody was cool yeah we did really well all the shows are are going well especially because i mean we're direct support to despised icon and we're not we're kind of like the odd band out yeah stylistically on this tour but it's honestly been working to our advantage like as people people have been gravitating towards it they still understand that it's still just heavy music so they're pretty receptive to what we're giving them Mm. i'm enjoying that that's what i was gonna say because despised icon uh obviously a bit more on like their sort of heavier scales compared to you guys so are you kind of winning fans over each night oh yeah that's the whole thing i mean it's, there are a lot of people that are coming out that, that have already seen us before and been fans but it is really nice to absorb a lot of those other you know people that are coming to the show and you know a lot of them are coming up to the tables being like oh never seen you guys before but you got a new fan and it's like that's what i want because i don't want to be playing the same circuits to the same people 24 <laughs> 7 you know what i mean yeah well, as I mentioned, Matt, um, the show is called Just an Insight. I like to take my guests kind of back to their their roots, so to say. So what was your kind of first exposure to alternative music? What kind of got you into that sort of side of things? Uh, I'll be honest with you, I was, whenever I was in high school, I just had some friends that they asked if I wanted to go to a show because that's something that they had been doing. They were older than me. Right. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I ended up going with them, and it was, it was great. It was a good time. So what... What kind of stuff were you into before before that then? Uh, I mostly just like kind of classic rock and stuff like that. And... So you were kind of always leaning kind of on the sort of rocky sort of side of things. Yeah, I'd always enjoyed you know some with a pulse. That was <laughs> what, what, what I just didn't know how deep that pulse needed to be till I started to find other heavier music. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what what was that first show? Was it just kind of like locals or? Yeah, it was just a local show. I mean, I had a, a couple of friends that they 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 would go to the video the venue that was in our town would have shows almost every weekend. It was just the basement of a church, right? And they'd have bands from Dallas down and stuff like that. And I was like, damn, this is this is awesome. I mean, I, I'd never experienced because I'd been to concerts before. Like I'd gone and seen like Stained and Shine Down and stuff because I like that stuff too. Yeah, but I'd never been to like an intimate underground show really before that i was probably about 13 at this point mm. and i was like i was like man this is insane and I, I, I had an allure that nothing else in my life really 
provided so i couldn't i couldn't just ignore it you know what i mean yeah and so when did you kind of did you kind of go from there and then sort of explore your own kind of avenues and and so what bands were you kind of checking out in your younger years yeah i mean basically a lot of the bands that i listened to from this style of music when i was younger i really liked like thick as blood Mm. black my heart uh throwdown was one of my first favorites the first first warp tour i ever went to i went literally just to see uh throwdown and set your goals i'm pretty sure (laughs) because set your goals they played uh or not set your goals but throwdown they played at like 11 or 12 in the morning right it was a really a really early situation but i got there as early as i could and uh had a good time they played on one of the smaller stages and it was fun. I'm pretty sure Set Your Goals was that year. Yeah. I've only been to two of them outside of the ones that we played. Yeah. So, you know, when you get to this point with all these shows, it kind of gets to be a jumble for me, at least. My memory's not very <laughs> yeah. good to begin with, so. And tell me through, kind of, was there, when you were sort of growing up in in the house, was there kind of music always around? Was it always something that you were, were drawn to, or did it just kind of come as a natural path for yourself? Is it, it, like in my house growing up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely not. No, my I lived with my my mom and my grandma and her brother, and they no, there was, there was none of that. It was something I kind of had to discover for myself. They never really, you know, were against it necessarily, but mm. they just didn't understand it. And in fact, that in itself was kind of part of the allure. It was just like it gave me a little bit more of an identity because yeah. I was like, oh, this isn't just me being them they can't control this they can't tell me what to do on this you know what i mean mm. and i feel like for for underground music and for extreme music that's that's how it starts for a lot of people it's just it is kind of that like knee jerk to your norm you yeah know what I mean? yeah and then in terms of kind of you mentioned like that that your friend said about going to a show and that was kind of where everything sort of snowballed from from there and have you all have you always been Grown up in, in the Texas area, was that where you're initially from? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never, besides being born, I was born in Indiana. Right. And then I, I moved there back or to Texas when I was probably about three. And then never been back to Indiana to live. I've just lived in Texas since then. I'm almost 30 now. Yeah. So, so what was the the Texas scene like? Because I don't know, like nowadays, I think, especially from our side of the pond, like, we're seeing a lot more bands kind of coming from that area, obviously yourselves included, bands like Power Trip and things like that. But was there quite a thriving scene when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. Texas has always been where it's at. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Bands love coming to Texas. They love playing to Texas. Like, And the, the thing that's great about Texas is there's so many major cities that you could, you could spend a week in the state yeah. and play to completely different people every single night. Okay. So it's and it's it's it was really good. Like I don't I don't think our band would be what it is at all if it weren't for you know growing up in in Texas and growing up with that kind of influence. You know what I mean? Because Texas is a whole different animal. Mm. And you, you see bands from Texas and you, you see the attitude and you see the just how they carry themselves and you can definitely it's it's its own package in my opinion. You yeah. know what I mean? And then in terms of kind of again you saying going to these like little uh sort of underground shows and things was there a particular show that you can remember that you attended as kind of a a punter for le- less of term that you were like 
there was a light bulb moment. And you're like, oh, I I could do this. I could give this a go, sort of thing. Was there anything that stands out like that? Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was some of my favorite bands from back then. There was a band called Choke on the Color Olive. There was a a band uh, called At All Cost. And I'm pretty sure they were from Austin. Okay. And they used to come down. And there was there was several bands from the Dallas area. I mean, there were people that were, were from Dallas who would come down to these shows anyways. And the more I started to go and the more I started to see that, you know, my friends had bands mm. and the people that I hung out with high school played music. I was like, man, like, this is, this is a tangible thing. If, if this was something I were interested in. And I had played drums before that. Okay. So I'd, I'd kind of been musically inclined for some years before that, but not, not for heavy music. So I started trying to kind of reshape my form to fit heavy music as opposed to trying to play like classic rock or something you yeah. know what I mean well you mentioned drums there so it, was drums always your, your first love or we, did you sort of dabble with other instruments where where did your kind of uh, musical jumping point come from I mean here's the thing as I played drums I was never good at them <laughs> I, I liked playing them but I wasn't I wasn't good enough to really be in a band I was in like one or two bands before Kublai Khan yeah. and I was the drummer and I was the terrible drummer that couldn't stay on time and was making the band <laughs> shitty. So, but they knew that I could do vocals because we always would mess around in the garage and like we all jam and switch instruments and do stuff. And I was I was the best one on vocals. Right. And so whenever Kublacon started, it was the guitar player and the drummer from a previous band that I was in, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to start this new thing. Do we need a vocalist? Are you down?" And I was just like, "Yeah, sure." And here we are almost like 12 years later so <laughs> well just to, before we kind of move on fully look what was it that, that drew you to the drums in the first place it was loud it was easy it was something that i could <laughs> uh something i could understand i still don't understand how people play piano or guitar because there's so much to do yeah. i like drums because you have, you have four things to hit and you just got to hit them in the right time <laughs> you know what i mean it's not it's not some big challenge and it, everything's real direct real there and Guitar is something I've never been able to even fathom. No, no, I'm I'm the exact same. My um, my older brother is a guitarist, and when we were sort of growing up, I was very much like, oh yeah, I could do that too. And then I picked one up, and I just didn't have the foggiest idea of what the hell I was doing. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's, I feel like it takes a special type of person to be able to pick one up and then continue on with it. Yeah, no, definitely, I definitely agree. Um, so you mentioned kind of obviously then like messing around kind of with with vocals so was that something that that you kind of wanted to pursue or did it was it just by chance that the cards fell and people would kind of notice that you were good at it it was 100 percent by chance i've been to be honest with you being in a band is something i never wanted to pursue okay i i had other dreams i had other things i wanted to do in my life but this kind of started to take over and once i started to see that there was some success with it i was like you know screw it like not many people get the opportunity to do this, so let me call off. We, you know, work for the weekend and see if we can do this little weekend run. And then next thing I know, I'm dropping out of college, and the next thing I know, I'm you know going overseas. And it's like it's just kind of snowball. Before we knew it, this is now our career. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we pay our bills doing this shit now, and it's it, it makes it worth it, and it, it kind of puts everything in perspective. That like if you really just work on something and you kind of grind for it, it's really really attainable. You know what I mean? And we're not the kind of people that we're just like, oh, we want this so badly. Like, we just kind of fell into it, and we're just like, this is sick. And we enjoyed what we were doing, and we just kind of stuck with it. You know what I mean? Because it's always been good to us. It's never never hurt us or taken any step backs or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So what what was it that you were kind of looking to do beforehand then? What, what were your sort of dreams and aspirations? I was going to school to be an art teacher. Oh, okay, cool. Any sort yeah, of... I've always enjoyed art and drawing and painting and stuff like that. So that's that was my first love. Yeah. And I put it on the back burner to do this stuff. But I just like creation. I like being able to create stuff. I like using my hands. So I wanted to, you know, be a, a, an art teacher. And then I really started to think about it. And I was like, first off, I fucking hate kids. As far as like <laughs> high school kids and middle school kids. I was like, I don't want to deal with them. I was like, I also don't want to teach anybody anything. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I was like, this is something that I thought I wanted to do because it seemed cool at the time. And then I, I just bailed out. I dropped out and we just started touring. And yeah. that's just never went back. You know, I did construction for years. I did farm work for a long time. Like, I've worked a lot of odd jobs in between. Mm. And, you know, it just kind of all led back to this path. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, before kind of Kubla Khan, obviously, messing around in in a couple of bands. So were were they kind of more of the hard, like, harder, like, heavier leaning sort of bands? What what kind of style were they? They were were all heavy, but they were basically all the precursors to Kubla Khan. Right. They were, they were, it was the same guitar. It was the same same guys. Yeah. As Kubla Khan, just different name and different music. So it was, everything was kind of, you know, we didn't really necessarily realize it at the time, but it was kind of shaping and honing our ability to create what we were going to create, yeah. which was Kubla Khan. So it took it took a lot of fails to get to this point, but they they weren't fails in our eyes. We didn't even know what was happening. So it was it was just a fun time. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, you know, we had our our bass player. Uh, he was going to move to California to get married. Our, our drummer joined the military. So it's just kind of like we, we broke up and we we're like, oh, cool, whatever. And then about a year later, we were like, man, like we know enough musicians around here. Let's just do Kubla Khan. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And we've spoken about obviously you kind of falling into almost the kind of position of being a, a vocalist. But obviously nowadays, your your vocal technique for a better term is kind of one that's really recognisable, especially sort of like on record, like as soon as you hear your sort of voice, everyone, you know, that's Matt Honeycutt sort of thing. So was that something that just kind of, when you were giving it a go, came out? Or is it something that you've worked on over time? How have you kind of come up with that technique? Uh, it, to be honest, it just it just is what it is. It 100%. <laughs> that's, I couldn't pretend to sound any other way. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm glad that, that people enjoy it. I'm glad that it's recognizable and stuff like that because I really, I mean, over the years I've had to tweak and do a little bit of stuff here and there to try and, you know, work on my performance and junk like that. But for the most part, it's it's remained the same and relatively unchanged, which is, is good because if when you've been a band as long as us, I, you don't, I feel like that, that has only helped us, that it stays mm. recognizable. You know what I mean? And not only stays recognizable, but gets gets honed in and the craft gets sharpened and it can it can be better you know what yeah. I mean and but. you obviously you mentioned yourself kind of been doing this for 12 years now and I think there's some people that maybe only just kind of coming around to knowing who Kubla Khan are nowadays but obviously you've been going for more than a decade sort of thing so has it been a, a weird kind of crest and wave that that you've kind of seen the band go on from the inside that because i think when you first started out there was a lot of hype and then kind of faded away by the wayside and now it's kind of come back again has it been a a weird journey in that aspect yeah and i mean a lot of that was due to we put out our first record and people people were excited about it just because we had been 
kind of a, a reoccurring thing in the underground. Yeah. So people came out to our shows. People were excited. And this was before we had a label. This was before we had anything. So we kind of had that, like, new band allure, like, that yeah. hype to us. You know what I mean? Put out our first record. Things were great. Things were going well. Put out our second record, and it just fell apart. Because mm. that's whenever our record label fell apart. They, they didn't even push the record. They, we had fans that didn't even know the record came out. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and even on that record, like, I blew my voice out for the record and it just didn't sound as good. There's a, a lot of factors to it. And we were just kind of like, well, shit, man, this sucks. And, I mean, I, it just a lot of stuff was happening. Like, we had to drop tours because my arm got all fucked up. And it was kind of just problem after problem where we were just like, man, this sucks. Yeah. And then we wrote Nomad and put that out. And the next thing you know, we're doing Warp Tour and people give a fuck and our shows are packed out. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of crazy how shit happens, man. But all it takes is just putting out one more, you know, worthwhile record to slap you back on the map and now things are better than they were before they're the best they've ever been now yeah and now that we have people's attention and we're putting out another record that i think is our best record yet it's just it, it dives off the wall right now as far as our shows and stuff like that like mm. I, this is some of the first times ever playing tours where i felt like we're a notable band yeah like we were talking about it yesterday and uh there's been several shows on this tour where it reminds me of whenever I was younger and I would go to a show and I'd be one of the kids down in the pit and it'd be like a big house of blues style situation and all the bands on the tour, you're like, man, these bands are huge. Like, this is awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized like, dude, I'm in their position. Like, yeah. A lot of it was smoke and mirrors. Some of them weren't as big as I thought they were, but just from an outsider's perspective looking in, it's just like, holy crap. You know what I mean? But it's, it's cool to be able to kind of come full circle like that and feel like your work and everything is, is really leading to a successful kind of uh, peak. You know what I mean? Mm. And you, you mentioned, like, obviously, off that first record, there was that kind of whole new band, a law kind of thing. And I think, personally, that was kind of... That album kind of came out at a time when I was really sort of digging into sort of hardcore and I was really, like, scavenging around for new bands. And that's how I discovered you because I think it was it was one of those times when streaming wasn't around but you could get obviously like bootleg downloads and it came up as like you were in a for fans of sort of thing and i was like i like all those bands i'm going to check out kubla khan sort of thing so yeah. was like was the initial kind of I, I don't want to say hype but i guess kind of energy that was around that initial release was that something that you kind of were not not expecting but was it something that you'd kind of got used to quickly or was it completely kind of knocked you out of the park in those early days i mean it was something that we it was very gradual you know mm. what i mean because we had never we were never just like okay cool guys we made it like we just started noticing that things were going better and better and we thought that was just the natural progression of things yeah you know what i mean because we were getting handed different opportunities other bands started asking us to go on tour rather than us trying to just DIY scratch everything together ourselves. So we're just like, oh, this is just kind of how it works. Like, we've never in our band ever reached a point where we're just like, well, this is it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We just kind of keep going with the flow and then whatever happens, happens. And if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, we try and improve it. You know what I mean? Mm. And then in terms of kind of Nomad, as you mentioned, with New Strength, there was obviously several issues regarding sort of like the label and things like that and I didn't know until you said but obviously there's people that, that don't know that record exists sort of thing um, yeah I mean we, we literally we don't play anything off that record at our shows yeah because people just stand there like dummies like when did you put this out <laughs> and it's it's crazy it's honestly crazy like we 
we played one single off that record, and then everything else we've never really played. Yeah. So we, imagine, imagine putting out your record on a two-year cycle and then playing one song that people halfway cared about, and then the rest of the songs that you're trying to push your new material, people are just like, yeah, this isn't Balancing Survival and Happiness. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of this odd thing, and now we're reaching to the point where after Warped Tour and putting out Nomad and stuff, we play stuff off balancing, and people are like, what the hell is this? Like, We just want to hear Nomad, and we yeah. want to hear Absolute, which puts us in a good spot because now we can just push brand new material, and it kind of levels us out because I don't want to be the band that's, People only ask to hear stuff we wrote, you know, seven years ago. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? uh, but the point I was I was going to make was when you guys got in the room and, and started sort of putting Nomad together, was there a sense of this? Not a re- well, I guess in some senses, like this needs to be kind of like a redemption album in in some form. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we were literally like, "This is make or break." Yeah. This is either got to if this album doesn't do well we're done probably but if it does well we have an opportunity to keep this going mm. and it, for as far as success for our band it may not be that way for everybody but for us it was a blowout like we we released the first few singles and people were just like dude Kubicon's fucking back yeah yeah and it's like alright cool man that's what we want like and that allowed us We've all the tours we've been getting since this are just like everything's notable everything's kind of the direction we've been wanting to go in so it's just good stuff you know mm. what I mean and Obviously, the, something that but obviously like a lot of people have sort of picked up on in sort of other interviews, and you've kind of said about it before, is kind of like the whole sort of feeling of despair within that record. But I think that kind of feeling's always kind of been a trope for Kubrickan in some aspects. So, do you think that I don't know? Maybe just because there was a bit more media attention on you before Nomad that people were kind of starting to take notice a bit more or do you just think because that record was i don't know make or break that you guys put a bit more effort into it as well was it kind of a a mixing of the both and and perfect timing sort of thing i I really i don't really know to be honest i think it was a timing thing a lot of it because something i always say that that i mean i don't i don't say it very often but New Strength is my favorite record we've ever done. That's the record I was most proud of. Mm. And it's the record that, that no one cared about. Yeah. So it's like, we've always put 100% into our records. And honestly, Nomad, there are songs on that record that when we were in the studio, we were just like, yo, we got to sew this up and finish it. Like, there were a lot of like kind of thoughtless moments on that record, but people still enjoyed it. So it's kind of, it's kind of just like this weird kind of bitter taste of like, you know, you can spend months writing a record in a room with each other and then nobody care about it. Or you can come to the studio with four songs done and then write the rest in a week. And that's the album everybody loves. You know yeah. what I mean? So it kind of just goes to show how kind of strange things are. And I mean, even with this, uh, the last record, Absolute, when we came to the studio, we had two and a half songs out of ten. So in a week, we wrote the entire record. Oh, wow. And it's like, the thing is, is like we've already gotten reviews back on it, like, people have bought it and listened to it I've been getting messages being like dude this is y'all's best work yet and it's just like dude what a weird thing you know what I mean (laughs) but we're also we're four records in we work well together we can write our style of music and our sound in minutes like it's it's not and I'm not saying that it's some thoughtless thing like we come with all these ideas then we put them together uh, in that week span but it's like there's just there's a lot that goes into it but it also has to just flow naturally Mm. And I feel like we're we're getting to the point where all our stuff is just completely natural, and pe- the listener can can feel that. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And obviously, I think throughout your kind of career, something that's been very prevalent is kind of the the lyrical content of, of what you're kind of saying is obviously quite sort of personal, but also sort of social personal as well in terms of you're addressing what's going on in, in the world right now and, and at the time of when certain records were, were kind of written and released sort of thing. So yeah. for for you, I, th- I don't know, I guess it kind of ties in nicely with the tone and aggression of your voice kind of thing, but do you feel that because the position you're, I guess, privileged in some forms to be in, in the fact that you're the vocalist of a successful band, that you need to push that message? Because I don't, like, not saying that, that it would detract, but if Kubla Khan wasn't maybe necessarily pushing that message, would it be the same band? If that makes sense. Uh, well, here, let me try and answer that the best way I can. I think that I, I, and my, uh, I 100% don't think that if, if our lyrical content was just not what it is, I think that a lot of what made us who we are would be lost. Yeah. Because that is something that people have always noticed and continue to notice about our band. It's just how strong the messages are and yeah. the lyrical content and stuff like that. And it's one of those things, I mean, whether I had Kubla Khan or not, these are all still things that happened in my life. They're things that I feel every day. Kubla Khan just allows me a medium to transfer those thoughts to other people. In, mm. You know what I mean? Which I'm very thankful for. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that the music would still be cool. And I don't know, you know, whether I was the vocalist or somebody else. It's really just kind of a game of what ifs, you know? But yeah. I, I do think that the one thing we do know is that you know, we have made somewhat of an impact to a lot of people that are fans of our band strictly through the lyrical content. Yeah. You know? And as you've mentioned, it's kind of uh, an outlet for you to kind of obviously put your thoughts onto paper kind of thing. And I think that's another reason why a lot of people resonate is because you're talking about stuff quite openly. And I think like one of the tracks of Nomad that I always find... I. I can't personally relate to it, but I think it's so powerful is true fear in the way that you're taught, you're talking about sort of like those kind of issues and, and how they're kind of, especially in the States, we hear about it over on this side is so prevalent kind of thing. So for you, is it, I don't know, do you find it quite easy to be so open and, and are there sort of cathartic elements to it when you're being able to write it down and in an aggressive manner? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's writing has never been a challenge for me. Expressing myself when it's stuff I actually genuinely care about has never really been a challenge. Mm. Because even with True Fear, it's one of those things like that was a very hot button issue. It still is, you know yeah. what I mean? And it's it could be taken as kind of you know, oh, this is just being said because this is hot right now. But honestly, for me, it it was the the news for years and still has been. It's very dominated by you know acts of police brutality and stuff like that and just the general discourse of citizens versus police in our country which I don't think is good I don't advocate for any violence on either end you know what I mean Yeah. but uh, it's one of those things I saw it as an opportunity for me to express my side of it and how I felt about it because I have had personal problems that I didn't ask for that no one should ask for but this still happened Yeah. and my whole thing is you know when we wrote that song in particular you know, I've had things shouted at me. Like, I've had people shout, like, you know, Blue Lives Matter, and like, oh, you fucking, you hate cops, you piece of shit, and all that stuff. And I'm like, dude, not once in that song did I ever say, 
anything besides what I felt. I never said fuck the police. Yeah. I never said go out and kill somebody or all cops are bastards or some shit. Like, I never said that stuff. All I said was my personal story and how it affected me and how people need to kind of address and understand the discourse that is happening because there, if there isn't an open conversation and people aren't allowed to express themselves and be honest with each other on both sides, how can we ever expect to fix relations? You know mm. what I mean? And so, go ahead. Oh, no, no, sorry, carry on. Oh, I was just saying, it's just, for me, it was it was more therapeutic than just like, oh, I'm just going to write a hate song. Like, there were, there were, there were elements of the song that, that I had to cope with, that I did have a lot of hatred for for a long time, that I needed to calm down and understand. Yeah. Uh, hold on just one second, okay? Let's go. Hey, are you going in here? I'm going to sit on this bench. Okay. Yeah, it's like I said, we're walking around a mall right now. So <laughs> I'm following our bass player around while he looks for clothes, and I'm trying to find benches to sit on. And stuff. <laughs> That's cool. But uh, I found a good bench, by the way. This is the best one yet. So. <laughs> well, um, the, what I was going to ask is obviously because you mentioned that having having those sort of personal experiences that kind of to draw upon sort of thing, and and obviously, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, then by all means, please tell me to, to move on but having sort of I, I guess put have those situations being put on you sort of thing is that something that I don't know like you can then not use to, for lyrics but because of the position you're in like be able to have a conversation as you say kind of hearing from both sides is there yeah, I mean go ahead I was just going to say is there kind of I guess maybe if you've got older and wiser, that that sense of that the anger maybe disappears, and you can kind of decompartmentalize everything that's going on. And through living those horrible experiences, that you're able to understand it a bit better. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's the thing too. Is, and I think that people forget this a lot in society that people are allowed to grow and change. People's opinions are allowed to change. People are allowed to think different things. There's songs that we've written in the course of this band that I don't agree with anymore. Okay. That I, I'm not necessarily that I'm ashamed to have written because there were times and periods when I obviously, if, if it was on my heart that much that I needed to write it, that's fine. But as I grow older, I start to see that, you know, I can be at fault just like anybody can as far as what I think or my opinions can change. So I'm always open to being logical and rational and trying to not think that my words just because they're put on record should be taken as fact yeah you know what i mean i'm very i like conversation i like being challenged as far as my ideas if if i can be you know persuaded if anybody can be persuaded to see things more logically or in a, in a more truthful light that's 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 more important than anything people's egos and opinions that's what gets them in trouble you know what i mean mm. and uh but yeah with that being said there's definitely uh, things things that I've written about that, that I, I still hold firm and there are things that I just I don't know what I think anymore and I still feel certain ways there's things that I've completely changed on and that was a, a long time ago where a kid hit me up when I used to have a Facebook and he sent me a message and he was just kind of you know really praising us and being like oh I love your band blah 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 and this and this and this and that and then he literally told me he said man he's like I'm trying to be a vocalist of a band yada yada and he was like, I really just wish that I would have had a harder life so my lyrics could be as good as yours. And I was dumbfounded, dude. Yeah. I was like, I told the kid, I was like, don't you ever fucking say that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, first off, if you're saying that you wish you had a, a, a harder life to try and express 
traumatic art. I was like, that's that's ridiculous. You should be thankful that you have the life you have. You think I wanted to live some of those things? Yeah. Nobody nobody does. If it's a way for me to cope on it, that's fine. But I'm not I'm not I'm not excited that I lived through some of the things that I did just so that it can be a two minute and fifteen song you know second song on a record that no one's going to listen to. Like that that's absolutely ridiculous. Mm. And it's that just shows kind of how shallow I think some people's thinking can become as far as trying to really make it, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're trying to find an edge or something that they can really kind of weaponize and be like, oh, this is my thing. Or this this gives me credibility because I've lived this. And it's like everybody's life has credibility if if there's situations that you, you do, you know, uh, what's the right word? Like, I don't know, I guess like feel for that you've lived through. Yeah. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of things that I have felt and I've lived through that like, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm glad that I did because it's made me the person I am. But it's like, I would never wish that on anybody else. Yeah. That's why I talk about it because I want that shit to stop, not because I want it to continue. Mm. You know? And, again, this might be me making a sweeping assumption, but are you st- do you still kind of have these sort of unfortunate interactions with people? Like, now is it as prevalent as it was maybe when you were younger? Because, obviously, we over here in the UK obviously hear all this stuff going on in America sort of political climately and, and things like that so is it is it better or is it worse like what, how are you finding the situation at the moment uh, I mean it kind of is what it is I like I said there's there's a lot of beliefs that I have and a lot of you know ideas that I kind of hold true as far as what I think and believe and it's one of those things you start to figure out that no, you're, you're never going to please everybody. Yeah. If you have an opinion, it's it's going to piss somebody off. So I've kind of just started keeping shit to myself. I, it's not anybody else's business or anybody else's job to critique what I think. Just like it's not my job to do it to the other. As long as you're not hurting anybody or hurting yourself, mm. then think what you want to think and believe what you want to believe. Because I have a lot of friends that I don't agree with. I have a lot of people that I love and hold very dearly that I don't agree with them. I don't agree with what they think as far as, you know, religion, as far as politics, as far as even some of their own moral conduct. But that doesn't mean that I can't love them as a person and we can't get along. You know what yeah. I mean? And when people when people get so hung up on that stuff and they think, oh, somebody feels a different way than me or they don't agree with what I think, I have to exile them from my life or I have to see them as an enemy. That's, that's part of the problem. You know what I mean? Hmm. And I guess in that kind of aspect... Again, with the position that you're in as a band, do you think that because of that, like you're able to kind of maybe push that side of the message a bit, bit further and say like, okay, yes, we are maybe an aggressive band and we're singing about these issues and the things that we've been through in the past, but progression needs to be made essentially. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I think it would be stupid for bands to continue to want turmoil just so that they can make money off of it like lyrically for instance you know what i mean it's it's terrible like that's why kind of the point that i was trying to get across that kid is like you should never wish for trauma or turmoil so that you feel like you can justify your artwork you know what i mean it's if it happens naturally and it occurs that's just that's the way it works that's nature and you're, you have the full right to express that. But I think for people to 
not want to fix things or for people to just because that's the whole thing is i mean you take our president for instance and i mean i'm not a fucking fan of the dude either <laughs> but yeah. think about if he didn't exist how many people wouldn't have shit to complain about yeah they they so many people live and breathe to just sink their teeth into what he said next you know what i mean and it's stuff like that 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 kind of example can be taken that people are attracted to that turmoil people kind of seek it out and as much as they're like oh this is terrible we need to fix it it's like i think most people in their nature they they wouldn't know what to do with peace if it was handed to them yeah they're, they're most people are naturally drawn to just dog shit and they just, that's, just, <laughs> yeah. that's what they that's what they deal with and that's how they justify their lives and how they justify their positions on their lives and it's just this kind of vicious circle of just everybody wants things fixed, but nobody's willing to fix it. And it's just, it, it's why I don't put too much stock in most people's opinions, because I think with social media and just the whole coddling kind of society we live in now, it tells everybody that their opinion is relevant or that it matters. And it's like, you can have an opinion all day long. Does that mean it's correct or that it's a good opinion? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think we need to start checking people again on having bad opinions. Mm. But you know you, you're entitled to it. But I can sit there and be like, "Dude, you're dog shit. Your opinion's awful, and you need to change the way you're thinking because you're fucking wrong." And now with social media and the internet and society like that, those people that feel that way can now find, you know, five hundred, six hundred other people a day that feel the exact same way as them, and it just kind of digs their heels in, and they can justify that that poor thought, you know. Yeah. And, uh, more so than poor thought is lack of thought, and that's just it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Well, if we move on then to what you are kind of doing now, obviously, new record coming out uh, this Friday. Um, yeah. From so the reason I want to bring this up because I was going to say too, my my phone is on nine percent, so I'm just letting you know if it does cut out, then I can always just call you back once I get it to a charger. But that's I'm cool. just letting you know beforehand. Okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Obviously, we've mentioned kind of the success of Nomad. With this record, was there any sort of pressure from from you guys that you kind of felt like you needed to to one up it, or did you kind of go into it feeling more relaxed in some senses? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I felt more relaxed. Yeah, just because I was like, dude, I was like, the two and a half songs that we had written, I was stoked on. I was like, these are fucking good. So I was like, the way our bands always worked is even even with the records that have done good and done bad or whatever, we've never really stressed it. We just kind of just write what we write and then we put it out and that's just kind of how it's always been and with this one i was more excited than stressed because i was just excited to put out new music mm. because i knew that the fans that we have the kind of stuff that we're continuing to write they're gonna like it so it's like all we can do is hope to please the people that that already you know vibe with us but then also still expand our band and do things different enough to try and absorb other people new people you know you don't want to just stay spinning the same wheels just because some people enjoy it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Matt, as you've said, your your phone's nearly going to die, so I'll quickly wrap this up just because I think we're, we've reached a, a nice crescendo. So how I'd like to to end these little chats is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what is your favourite Kubra Khan song that you like to play live and why? Uh, honestly, it's probably self-destruct now, and it's just... To be real, it's because it's short. It's not a lot of vocals, and it just it just jams. There's so many parts that are just instruments. Yeah, that have completely different vibes and completely different tones and feels. That it's just it's an extremely exciting song for me, I think, and for the crowd from start to finish. 
And I mean, literally from the first day we started playing it after it was released as a single, every night it's been going off. So I, cool. people, people like it, and I'm, I'm glad that we can continue to make music that gets people energized and that people continue to want to hear. Yeah. Brilliant. Matt, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your tour, and hopefully we'll see you over on our shores again very, very soon. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be there soon enough, I hope. You know what I mean? I appreciate the time, and I appreciate you reaching out. No worries. Perfect. Take care, mate. Yep, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there we have it folks, thanks again to Matt for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, as discussed, Kubla Khan are currently out on the road with Iron Dissonance, uh, so if you live stateside um, and they're coming to a town near you, then make sure you go check them out and catch them, they're a fucking tight as fuck live band, I got to see them twice this year, which is a privilege. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with what the band are doing on all their various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description of this episode as per usual. I'm going to keep this very, very short outro uh, this week, so that is it for another week here at the Justin Insight Podcast. Thank you very much for stopping by, and I will see you soon.